We've been working through the Gospel of Luke for a number of years. At the end of every chapter, I like to take a few weeks off of Luke and teach something different. And so, several weeks ago, um, my, a couple of my sons went to a Christian camp, and the theme of the camp was Romans 12, 1 and 2, and as we were talking about that around the dinner table, um, my heart was stirred, and I thought, I want to talk about this soon. So last week we talked about verse 1, and this week I feel it's my duty to include verse 2 as they are very connected. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul writes, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, a number of years ago, a nationwide survey which was published by the Barna Research Group, determined that in America, where roughly 70% of the population professes to be Christian, only 9% are in this category called born again. They determine this category of born again as defined as people who said they made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that was still important in their life today. They also indicated that when they die, they believe they will go to heaven because they confessed their sins and accepted Jesus as their Savior. But as you examine this survey and they boil that number down even further and you discover that only 19% of that group actually hold to a biblical worldview. Now, just to make sure everything's clear, I thought I would define what a worldview is. A worldview is, a fr- is the framework from which we view reality and make sense of life and the world. My own definition would be something like this. An ideology that provides an overarching approach to understanding life, morals, origins, the world, and your place in the world. Whether consciously or unconsciously, everyone has a worldview. Your worldview is a combination of all that you believe to be true and what you believe becomes the driving force behind every emotion, decision, and action. For example, the underlying assumption in our modern scientific community is naturalistic materialism. Meaning, they believe there's no intelligent mind behind creation, and so everything they study and test is done with that presupposition in mind. 
This is why creation scientists and evolutionists come to radically different conclusions when they consider the evidence because they have different worldviews, different assumptions about life. Every TV sitcom, every movie you see is presenting some form of worldview. So you might see how the characters on the program interact with the world around them and that's revealing what they believe about the world. You as the viewer are interpreting everything you're seeing through your worldview. So sometimes you might agree with their decisions, you might disagree in how they handle something. But the worldview is the overarching idea or ideology of how you interpret life. So it affects philosophy, science, theology, anthropology, economics, law, politics, art, social order, everything. Now, the proper worldview for every Christian is that he or she believes our primary reason for existence is to love and serve God. This is the framework that the Christian operates under. We exist for a higher purpose. We exist to love and serve our Creator, and our lives here are viewed in light of eternity. That's a worldview. And if only 19% of those claiming to be born again hold to a biblical worldview, that is very concerning. Okay, so you've got the 70% mass sea of people in America, but then it's revealed that only 9% of that group uh, are considered born again, meaning they trust Jesus as their Savior, And then only one in five out of that group have a biblical worldview. And that's very concerning. Now, if you're wondering what questions were on this survey to determine who has a biblical worldview, these were the questions. Does absolute moral truth exist? Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule it today? Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is Satan real? Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? Is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? So, 19% of those who believe that Jesus is their Savior and it has a a, a, a meaningful commitment to that faith, only 19% would answer in the affirmative to these questions. When asked how they understand the Bible, how they perceive the world to be, and who they believe God to be, 81% of that group did not agree with essential doctrine. Now, this, of course, has a profound effect on how people live because what you believe is going to affect how you live. And Barna concludes at the end of this study, he says, although most people own a Bible and know some of its contents, our research found that most Americans have little idea how to integrate core biblical principles to form a united and meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life. 
So there's a lot of people who profess faith and it seems that there are only a few out of that larger number who actually hold to what the Bible teaches and are influenced by what the Bible teaches. And because only a fraction hold to biblical truth, it's not surprising that a large number of professing Christians look no differently than non-Christians. They behave no differently than non-Christians. They engage in the same sins. They love the same forms of entertainment. They are just as likely to engage in sex outside of marriage and just as likely to divorce. Now, in contrast to this, the Bible portrays Christians as radically different from the people in the world. We are people who are set apart by God. We are given a new nature by God, and that new nature desires to know Him and to serve Him in this life. Christians are people who are living not for this present age, but for the age to come. The Bible uses metaphors for that. We are like sojourners or travelers through this land, right? We're like Israel in the wilderness, anticipating the promised land. We are like Judah, exiled in Babylon, living for God while resisting the influences of a pagan culture. And a vital part of our time in exile here is to have our minds constantly renewed so that we fulfill our purpose. We must be regularly trained to live in the world as God defines it rather than the way it appears to us. And that is the subject of our text today. So last week we looked at verse 1 and we talked about what is our response to what God has done for us. Right? So the book of Romans chapters 1 through 11 is everything that God has done for you in Christ and that salvation is by faith and it is a justification of the guilty and over and over the theme through those chapters is God has done, God has done, God has done. And then you get into chapter 12 and all of a sudden the book shifts to now what we are to do in light of what God has done. And we saw that our right response to God is a life of continual worship. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable. This means our true worship is not a particular style of music or liturgy, but it involves our behavior. Our worship is not just a 90-minute exercise on Sunday, but a moment-by-moment, day-by-day offering of ourselves to God. And so Paul is going to continue with this subject of our duty as redeemed people And here in verse 2, he's going to demonstrate that the way to right behavior is through right thinking. The way to right behavior, meaning you're offering your body to God in service to Him, the way to that is through right thinking. So let's look at the text again. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now the reason I wanted to make sure I preached on verse 2 is because I think verses 1 and 2 is a continual thought. And I think, I think the Greek backs me up on this here because verse 2 begins with the word and. And is a conjunction. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Anyone remember that? Its function is to bring two parts together that are the same. So this is all of the same command, verse 1 and verse 2, and the Greek begins verse 2 with the word and. So he's not stopping like we have in the ESV, he's continuing the same thought. So he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, and verse 2, do not be conformed to this world which we will discover meaning the thinking of this world. So just as you offer your body in verse 1 to service and worship to God, you are to be changed in how you think. You are to have a biblical worldview. The connection of body and mind is something that cannot be separated. We are holistic beings meaning it's all interconnected. What you think and what you do are intimately related. Let me give you an example. If you believed that someone was trying to poison you, every day you woke up with the thought, someone is trying to poison me. Your behavior would radically change based on what you believe. You would look at everyone suspiciously who offered you food. You would examine every piece of anything you brought home for, from the grocery store and you would look for tampering. You're checking this box, you're checking this package, you're looking and searching, and because you have this delusion, it is going to dictate how you live. That you, you're not going to separate the mind and the body. We're connected. And because there's such a close connection between our thoughts and our actions, Paul does not just leave verse 1 alone where he says we are to offer our bodies. He has to bring in the importance of the mind in that we must also be changed in our thinking. So, we're going to look at this together. Verse 2, guess what? Three simple points. Firstly, we are going to see what to resist. And then we're going to see what to pursue. And then we're going to see why it matters. First, what to resist. Do not be conformed to this world. Now, you are probably familiar with how the Bible uses the term world. 
it usually means this sinful, broken system that is governed by Satan. That's usually how the term world is used. It's not talking about the earth. Sometimes it is, but in these specific teachings, we're talking about something spiritual. It's this broken system that has man at the center of everything. And the idea here is that there is a mindset that comes along with the world. You might have a note in your Bible that says that it could be translated as age. I think age is probably a better translation to help us understand what's being communicated here. But the problem is that the age in which we live is going to try to conform us to a certain pattern of thinking. I like Philip's translation here. It's actually a paraphrase. But he says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Didn't come up. There it is. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. So it's as if the era in which we live is the attitudes and the ideas and the philosophies of this age are trying to squeeze you into a certain shape and trying to make you conform with their ideas. This is what we are to stand against. And the reason we are to stand against it, it is, is because it is the thinking of man and it is not the thinking of God. We are not to be captivated by this world's philosophies. We as the people of God are to be governed and guided by the Word of God and that is to shape our thinking which is in total opposition to the ways of man. Now what are some examples of Man's thinking in our day that we are not to conform to. I just put together a very short list. You could add to it. You define your own reality and can be anything you want. It's very popular in our day. Your feelings dictate what is true. A person's happiness is what is most important. Money, success, romance, fill in the blank is the key to happiness. Everything is acceptable as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. And believe in yourself. And so, conformity to this age involves adopting the thinking of the world where man is the center of the universe and God is not considered as necessary or central to life. A focus on the here and now without any thoughts of some future reality. And this attitude that permeates all of our society is also that which is the center of all advertising. If you think about advertising, what is it that advertisers want to, how they want to affect your thinking? They want you to buy their product now because this is what you need, right? So that drives all advertising. You need this and you need it now. And today's the day. 
Now, this, this living for now has become the predominant philosophy of our age. In fact, not too long ago, there was a billboard on your way out of Fillmore toward Piru, and it was a Pepsi billboard, and it said in huge letters, Live for now. And the implication there is that you should live for today and today is all that matters and don't worry about the future. You are to live for yourself now. Just go for it. Just do what pleases you. Why are you worried about the future? Why are you worried about eternity? Just do what you want today. And so this, is, this kind of philosophy is being broadcast 24 hours a day in this world in which we live, and this is a worldview issue. And the worldview states that this life is all that there is, so you might as well get out there and enjoy it. Ashley Madison gained popularity some years ago because it was so brazen in what it offers. It's a website where married people can meet other married people to commit adultery. That's what the business is for. And their slogan was, life is short, have an affair. Now, we've been talking about worldview. That's a worldview. That is a worldview where God and eternity are not considered. If we are just evolutionary and biological machines that experience pleasure and then we're going to die at some point and go into the ground and become food for the worms, well, you might as well get as much pleasure as you can out of this life. Nothing else matters. Gratify yourself now. Deal with the consequences later or try to avoid the consequences altogether. And so the culture around us is unrelenting in trying to shape our thinking and it is always the opposite of God's ways. It's trying to shape your thinking and how you think about sexuality Fashion, music, language, science, entertainment. As if God did not create the world and as if there is no transcendent purpose to life. If, if the predominant worldview is materialistic evolution in our culture today, and it is, If you're a man and you want to become a female, go ahead. If you feel like you're a woman trapped in a man's body, we can fix that. What's stopping you? Be who you are. Experience your life to the fullest. The universe doesn't care. There's no ultimate truth or purpose. You are the master of your reality. And of course, it's all a lie, and lost people love lies. 
Now, people have not always believed these particular lies, and certainly the world's mold will change over time, but each generation is going to have one. Each generation is going to have a worldview, and it's going to try to shape your thinking, and it's not going to be the thinking of God. It's always going to be contrary to the mind of God. God's message to you today is do not be conformed to this world. This is what we are to resist. We are not to allow the thinking of this age to shape how we think. Do not let the world force you into its mold. And it's not just issues of origin. I've brought up evolution a few times now. But the world has to focus on the physical because it can not focus on the spiritual. If we are all spiritually dead in Adam, then of course when all of the sons of Adam get together and build societies, it's going to be broken thinking. And so it's focusing on the physical, and that's why another message that permeates the world is, it's all about how you look. It's all about how much you weigh, ladies. It's all about the wrinkles. Trying to get rid of wrinkles. Look at, the, look at the magazines when you go to check out at Vaughn's next time. What's the predominant message that's being sent through those magazines? Especially the fashion ones. It's all about your appearance. How you look. What brands you wear. Jesus even said of the Gentiles, what will we eat? What will we drink? What shall we wear? Now that was a text about anxiety, about the world being anxious about these things, but the principle is still the same. They're fixated on the physical. So the world has us fixated on living for today. The world has us fixated on considering outer beauty as what is most valuable and that happiness can be found in looking a certain way or achieving a certain thing. And God never once has us focus on that. Never once. So this is what we are to resist. We are to resist being molded into the thinking of this present age. Secondly, that was what we are to resist. Secondly, what we are to pursue. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So, Jesus came not only to pay our sin debt, but to transform us into a people who live and act and think like Him. The Christian life is one of being transformed from a people who are dead and lost and enslaved to a people who are alive and found and free. God's desire is not just to give us an inheritance someday in a paradise called heaven, but even now, He is shaping us to be 
people who think like citizens of heaven. And the way to Christian transformation is to have your mind renewed, not by the thinking of this world which is passing away, but by the thinking of God. This is a vital component of the transformation God is doing in you from sinfulness to godliness. How you think. How you interpret the world around you. How you understand God and your relationship to Him. How you discern truth from error. How you discern what is good. And so we need to constantly have our minds renewed. Now the verb transformed here is the Greek word metamorpho, which is the caterpillar to the butterfly. Transformed. It's the same word used about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when He was transfigured into a more glorious form. That's the picture. You are gradually being transformed into a more glorious form and how you think and interpret life is all part of that transformation. Now grammar is important when we study the Bible. And so I want to point out something about this verb. In the Greek, it is in the present tense. So be transformed is present tense. That means it's not a one-time thing that happened in the past, like, oh yeah, I did that last Tuesday. This is something that is ongoing and continuous. So, if we wanted to make the text more uh, specific, we could say, continue being transformed. But you start adding all these extra words and it takes away from the beauty of the text. But you could. So present tense, the verb is also in the passive voice, which means the one being changed is being acted upon by another. So that means this transformation is coming by an agent apart from you. So the verse could read, be continually being transformed. So you experience the work that God is doing in you and it's happening in you by God. But the verb is also in the imperative mood. Isn't grammar fun, kids? This is fun. This is important. The imperative. It's a command. So it means that God brings the change, but we are commanded to do something. So we don't just sit back. We don't just let go in God. We are pursuing this thing. He says, let yourselves be continually being transformed. Now, can you see why the, 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 the translators aren't going to cram all those words in there and be overly specific? It's just too much. But it's important once in a while to dig a little bit and see, like, what's God saying here? Okay, it's a continuous process. It's something that he's doing, and it's something that I'm commanded to be part of. <clears throat> so we could be conformed outwardly by this world that's trying to shape us by all of its thoughts and ideas and philosophies, 
or the transformation is going to take place as our minds are renewed and it's going to be outward coming from us by the work of God in us. So our transformation is an internal influence that is in conjunction with the Word of God to shape how we think. And how we think is going to affect how we live. So, we live in a world that is opposed to the Creator. They are opposed to the message of Jesus that we bring. And we are to constantly be built up and renewed in our thinking so that we know what is true and that we don't lose sight of our purpose here on this earth. Paul says in Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captive. He's talking about in your thinking. Through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. In other words, there are sound waves being sent out all day long under Satan's domain to try to change your thinking, to try to conform your thinking to be man-centered and to be without God. And this is so prevalent, people sit and hear it, and it does not even faze them. Every nature show, hundreds of millions of years, every nature show you watch, hundreds of millions of years, hundreds of millions of years, it's so common, this worldview that's being presented, that people have trouble thinking any other way. And that worldview is, with the hundreds of millions of years, is vital to this theory of evolution because you have to have a billion years for this theory to even make any kind of sense. Come on, self-repairing, self-reproducing machinery that's walking around this earth? Oh, but the earth is four and a half billion years old. Oh, I guess anything could happen with that amount of time. But that's not science. That is a worldview. So every area of science has to start with that framework or they will be kicked out. Ben Stein made a movie about it called Expelled. And so you're watching these programs or you're engaging with friends on Facebook and they'll post something about creation, and you, you know someone's going to say, oh, isn't Mother Nature amazing? So rather than worship to God the Father, Creator, who we owe everything to, it's Mother Nature. It's just old school paganism from the Old Testament. It's a worldview. The earth is our mother, is a worldview. And so this is being broadcast all throughout this, this age and we are breathing in this Babylonian air and it can conform our thinking if we, don't, if we don't replace it with the Word of God. Or social issues of our day. 
you hear the popular cultural mantra, love is love. That is very popular today. Just that statement, love is love. Which is a worldview that says, I make up the rules as far as who I want to love. And that's apart from any higher authority over man. So, when it comes to romantic or sexual relationships, there are no boundaries. You do as you will. Paul calls this hollow and deceptive thinking. And so here we are in this foreign land, and for 168 hours a week, these messages are being sent out all throughout the world. And how do you fight against a world whose philosophies defy God? You replace those with the truth of God. You fill your mind with the truth of God's Word. This is why we meet together. This is why we teach God's Word. This is why we have fellowship. This is why we read our Bibles regularly, I hope. So that as we go on this journey to the promised land, we do not forget our mission here. Now, I imagine there are periods of time in your week where you think just like the world does. I imagine there are periods of time in my week. And you start getting in this line of thinking that this really is all about you. And you act like it really is all about you. And you have to readjust your thinking and refocus on what is true and have your mind renewed. And so hopefully as you grow in the Lord, those kinds of episodes of worldly thinking are less and less. One area that's very deceptive is politics. We think that conservative politics is almost Christianity. And while there are some areas of overlap, we might think the same way on something like abortion or gender or biblical marriage. All political parties are part of this present age. Your favorite conservative non-Christian commentator is part of this world. I'm not saying you don't listen to them. I'm just saying that they are going to express things that are not Christian ideas But because they agree with you on so many areas, they could get smuggled in where you just jumble them all together. But conservatives, if they do not have Christ, are building on a faulty foundation, and if they die without Jesus, they will go to hell. Just because they have some moral areas where you are in agreement with them does not mean that they somehow are not part of this world system. So we have to go back to the Scriptures. We have to stand against philosophies that are of man and uh, not of God. We have to discern between right and wrong, between truth and error, and how do we do that but through God's Word. So we saw some ways in which the world tries to conform our thinking. Here are some right ways of thinking. God is the source of all things and has a purpose for everything that happens. I exist to glorify God. 
Money is not the answer to everything, and all of it will perish someday. Success in God's kingdom means humility and service to others. I am to consider others as more important than myself. So the world's message focuses on the temporal. It focuses on the here and now. The songs, the movies, the media, it's sending a message. And we are to actively be resetting our thinking on the truth of God's Word. So we are to resist the thinking of this age. We are to pursue the renewal of our minds. And then thirdly, very brief, why it matters. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, purpose clause, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The reason to be transformed in your thinking is so that you are able to discern the will of God, so that you know where you're going. So that as you are in this wilderness wandering to head to the promised land, you know what's happening. You're not confused by it all. You haven't lost your sense of purpose in it all. I mean, isn't that what Christians all want to know? What is the will of God for me? I've heard that question so many times as a Christian. What is the, I just want to know God's will. Well, it's going to be nearly impossible to discover God's will if you don't have your mind renewed. I mean, how many of those who profess Christ are like those in the Barna statistic where they would have no idea how to discover God's will for them? They don't even have a biblical worldview to begin with. They started on a journey and they have just stopped because they can no longer see. They live in a fog and they're inundated by the philosophies of this age and while they may have a profession of faith, they have no direction whatsoever. And sadly, their path looks just like the path that the world is on. If your mind is not being renewed, your thinking is being influenced by this present age, and you will be unable to see what God is doing in your life and what His plans are for your life. So we need to be renewed regularly so that we may discern the will of God. I think this is an individual uh, a text that's applying to you as an individual. How do you know what is good and acceptable and perfect? You have to live in relationship to God and have your mind renewed by God. In other words, you have to think like God. How can we counsel one another or disciple one another or encourage one another if we are not regularly being brought back to what is the truth? As I was thinking about this this week, I was wondering, I wonder how many believers don't even know what their spiritual gifts are. Right? So the Scripture says we have spiritual gifts. 
Christ gives these gifts to his body, so everyone has at least a gift. And I wonder how many don't know what that gift is, or multiple gifts. Ephesians 2.10 says, God has prepared works for you that you should walk in them. And do you know what those works are? Do you know what God made you to do for Him? Have you been uniquely, how you have been uniquely designed by Him to serve Him? These are important questions. Or, like the Barna quote I read earlier, do you know how to integrate core biblical principles to form a unified and meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life? How can you know these things? Well, you discern the plan of God because you know the God of the plan. And knowing God comes through understanding His Word and having your mind constantly renewed so that you think like Him and act like Him and love like Him and are led like Him by Him. So, God is at work in us to conform us to the image of Christ. And this is a process where we will think more and more and more like He does. You become pressed into His mold and not the world's mold. How important is this? 1 John 2.7 The world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That sounds pretty important to me. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. To do the will of God, you must first know the will of God. So I ask you as we close, is your mind being renewed? I love that you come to church on Sunday. It's very important. God has called us to be part of a community of believers. But you will lose the battle over the mind if you are out there for that many hours and you are only in here for 90 minutes out of your week. 168 hours a week, let's say 166 of them are, some, are not in the church. Is your mind regularly being renewed? Or are you like the one who's being conformed to this age and because of that you live in a kind of spiritual fog? Or are you able to discern the will of God in your life because you are being regularly transformed? Let's pray. Our Father... We thank You that You are at work in us. We thank You that it is Your will that we fill our minds with what You have said and how You will lead us and how You will remain with us. And I trust that all of us throughout the week, Lord, are struggling to keep our minds set on You 
But we can also take comfort in the fact that if we are in Christ, you are at work in us, and you will not stop that work until that day that we are in your presence. So thank you for your great loving care. Thank you that you are conforming us to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.